reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And as always, the words will be behind me if you didn't bring your Bible. God's Word says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, get an eye exam. Make sure that my eyes are okay. Last year everything was fine. Doctor said don't need to change anything. There have been times, though, that he would say, your vision has changed. And then he would diplomatically say, your age, you know. Um, but the same way as we think about our physical vision, it's important that we check the church vision. As always, during the coming weeks of January, we'll be looking at our vision statement. We've been working on it. We've been doing some... Um, making some changes, trying to clarify, redirect. We want to remind ourselves, as we could do this each year, why we're here. We know that there's always a need to, to look at our vision with the variables within the congregation, variables within the community. And we want to be effective in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministering. And I'm really excited about next week as we gather together for this congregation meeting as we talk about the vision. And we'll share more in detail, but we want to get your input in a survey that we'll be doing. And, um, but we're super excited. As we look at our vision statement, I want to just read it to you as we um, chip away at it and change, make some changes to it. We, we seek to be a diverse family of believers reconciled by God, impacting the lives of the people in Logan Square and Humboldt Park communities and beyond through the gospel of Jesus Christ, accomplished as we see every person transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, every person connected to the body of Christ, every person discipled, every person on mission. It's funny, each year it seems individuals set new goals and make New Year's resolutions in which they hope will transform their lives, make them better individuals. And too often we get through January and we kind of stop that. Christmas Day, Zach and I, why eat too much? And Zach and I took a walk on 606. 
campus. Do you remember? It was kind of cold. And I got up from there and I said, Zach, I'm surprised at all the people that are running this weather. Zach's response was quick. Dad, remember what today is. Today is New Year's Day. Everybody has started the New Year's resolutions. Everybody's running. He says, oh, I hadn't thought about that, Zach. Well, yesterday I went to Costco and I walked in the entrance and what do I see first? There are all these dieting products first. Second, I think, were running shoes. And third were Fitbits. You go on down the line. You see how Costco and other stores work using our plans and our desires to change with the coming of the year. The book of Romans, Paul writes about transformed lives. His transformation is very different than many New Year's resolutions. But he talks about the fact that the gospel, when it's believed, the gospel transforms our lives. We can't continue living the way we have previously if we truly put our faith and trust in Christ because the Spirit of God comes and lives within us. We can't continue as we were before. After 11 chapters of giving a strong foundation of the fact that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, Paul then in chapter 12 begins by giving a brief summary of the Christian life. He says that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms our lives. First, we are to worship God at all times through a transformed life. And secondly, that this transformed life is to be lived in community. To be lived in community. Verse 1 reads, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual gift or your spiritual worship. Looking back over the previous 11 chapters, Paul says, Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He saved you, because His Spirit lives within you, because you have God's Word, I appeal to you. NIV, I think, may be more accurate here. I urge you, because it's authoritative, it's, it's a demand requiring obedience. First, we're to worship God at all times as we allow the Spirit of God to transform us. We worship in the way we live, not on Sunday mornings, but sometimes we think. Worship is not a part of our lives. Worship is our lives. Let me say that one more time. Worship is not a part of our lives. It is our lives. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a powerful sacrificial picture, if you will, of us standing at God's altar. If you can imagine placing your, your neck, your body, on God's altar to be sacrificed. In the Old Testament, the sin offering, the worshiper was shedding the blood of an animal and asking God for forgiveness. 
But in New Testament, because of Christ, because of faith in Christ, Christ is our sin offering. We read in Hebrews 10, it says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you do not desire. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The burnt offering, as opposed to the sin offering, was a primarily a personal and voluntary thing. The animal used had to be without defect. It was expensive for someone to do a, a burnt offering. The offering showed that you were all that you had was committed to God. The offering uh, was burned totally. Sometimes, if you remember, the, the priest would take some. Well, this, everything was burned, signifying that if we give ourselves um, to, to the Lord through the gift, it represented complete dedication to God. And so we offer our bodies, again, it's the idea of totality, entirety. He wants us to follow him in everything that we do. He doesn't want leftovers. John Stott writes, Paul made it plain in his exposure to human depravity that is, it reveals itself through our bodies. He says, in our tongues, which practice deceit. In our lips, which spread poison. In our mouths, which are full of cursing and bitterness. In our feet, which are swift to shed blood. In our eyes, which look away from God. Conversely, thought goes on, our face shows itself in the deeds of the body. Again, so we offer different parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. Then, our feet will walk in His footsteps. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. Our eyes will look humbly and patiently toward God. Again, worship is not a part of my life or not a part of your life. It is our life. We worship in the way we live, not just on Sunday morning. Paul uses three terms to describe this sacrifice and what it should be. Three words, or three terms. Living sacrifice, holy, and pleasing to God. First, we see we're to be a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, again, is just being at God's disposal. It means being willing to do anything that God lays on our hearts in any area of our life. Luke 9, 23 and 24 says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Well, first, would it be a living sacrifice? Secondly, would it be holy? We know this word means completely set apart for the Lord. Our life is to be a daily giving over 
to God, wholly dedicated and committed to the Lord. And the third term used to describe our sacrifice is pleasing to God. The gospel should so radically change our purpose, our mindset toward life. We're no longer seeking to please people or seeking to please ourselves, but our desire should be to please our Father in heaven. The gospel motivates us. It frees us to live our lives and to please God. Romans tells us that simple nature is always hostile to God. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Spirit changes that hostility to God, and He gives us a desire to live for God. And Romans 7 says, I delight, I delight in your law. Romans 12.1 says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's ESV, spiritual worship. NIV says, which is your true and proper worship. King James, reasonable worship. Philip's translation, intelligent worship. Do you see these words? Intelligent worship. Reasonable, true, and proper. Douglas Moo, who's a prof and theologian at Trinity in Deerfield, writes that maybe the best way to translate it would be informed worship or worship with understanding. We give ourselves to God as we as his sacrifices when we understand his grace in our lives and his place. We offer ourselves not ignorantly. You think about an animal that used to be given, taken to the altar to be sacrificed. He went ignorantly. But we, on the other hand, go with understanding. We go with our intelligence and the understanding of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. God-pleasing worship must engage our mind based on the truth of God's Word. Paul tells us that we're to worship God through transformed lives. And then in verse 2, he tells us how we're to carry out this demanding, uh, sweeping demand on our lives. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Negatively, we're not to be conformed the world's pattern. Secondly, positively, we're to be transformed by renewing. First, God says, don't let the world shape you. He tells us to recognize and to reject the patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving that the world characterizes. The word conform here carries with it the idea of squeezing or pressure being applied in such a way that one begins to look like form, like the world. The world has a tremendous influence on us in ways we don't even realize at times. Power politics, consumerism, success syndrome, sexual immorality, or the whole thing of just pleasure and life, thinking that pleasure is what we should have. First Peter 4.4 4 says that, of course, 
Your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. When I read this, I couldn't help but think about my own life some 37 years ago. I remember driving two and a half hours to Birmingham from my home area to see some friends. All my friends were non-believers for the most part. I had a couple who weren't. They were partiers. They, most of them drank, and most of them did drugs. Uh, I remember going up into the fraternity house, and various times, and it was very clear they were like, they wanted me to hear, Ralph, Ralph's coming. Put away your drinks. Well, this time when I went to Birmingham, I, I walked into the apartment to see my friends I hadn't seen in a long time. And in the center of the room was a keg. In the kitchen were all the liquor bottles. It wasn't long till they pulled out the drugs. And I began to feel uncomfortable. And as I was there for a while, I sensed a demonic oppression. It took me about three or four minutes as a new believer to get out of there. I drove back to my house two and a half hours. I loved my friends. I shared the gospel with them. And no matter though how much I tried to share with them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done and why I, at that point, um, quit drinking, quit doing drugs, they, they just could not comprehend that. You see, the world can't comprehend our lifestyles. Too often, though, we cave in to the pressure and follow our worldly friends. Instead of, of conforming to the world, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transform is that metamorphosis. You think about a caterpillar turning into a, a butterfly. We're changed. We see this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're all being transformed into his image, which comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. I never forget when I came to Christ, a favorite passage of mine was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. He's a new person. When Christ enters into our lives, we cannot remain the same. We cannot. Because we are new creation. New creation. God wants us. Yes, we live in the world. We are affected in various ways at times we don't realize. But God wants you and he wants me to be salt and light in this dark world. Our minds need to be filled with the truth of God's word. And I love how Ephesians 4 talks about the fact that we're to let the spirit of God renew our thoughts and our attitudes. And you see here, God, the spirit, takes... God's Word, and He uses that in our lives. If we aren't studying and reading God's Word, the Spirit has nothing, does He, to help us grow. We need to be in the Word. What Christ did for us, who He is, should govern our thinking. It, it should, in a sense, capture our thinking. This new way of thinking, again, leads to new behavior. We cannot, and I want to repeat this, as believers, we cannot remain the same 
our behavior changes because the Spirit of God lives within us. He lives within us. This, this by no means that means that we're perfect. I came to Christ when I was 25 years old. And so over, over 35 years, I've been trying to change the things I learned before coming to Christ. It's a process. It's God uses His Word. It's God uses His people. It's God uses His Spirit to change us. Well, first, we've seen that God, through His Spirit, transforms our lives we're to worship him at all times. Verses 3 through 8, we see that we're to live our transformed lives in community. This inner transformation leads to new thinking in many ways, but this passage talks about three. How we view ourselves, how we view other believers, and how we view our spiritual gifts. First, Verse 3, we see we're to change our thinking or we're to think correctly about ourselves. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Since we've all been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we did nothing to earn our salvation, right? We need to realize that we're all the same, regardless of our backgrounds, our abilities, our skills. The gospel prevents us from thinking too highly of ourselves. Our first measure by which we measure ourselves is the gospel, which saved us. I'll never forget, and my wife Chris remind me, Pastor Young back in Alabama, he, was a, he led me to Christ, he discipled me, was a mentor. He used to always say, we're all level at the foot of the cross. We're all level at the foot of the cross. But not only does God's Spirit and Word change our thinking about ourselves, it changes our thinking about fellow believers. Verses 4 and 5, whereas in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We, we, have, we don't have the same function. We do things differently. I, I know that there are a few of you who have watched some bold games over the past few days. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't have to bring it up. NFL, if you're thinking about them... They can have up to 53 people on their roster, but they can only dress out 46. The NCAA college football allows over 100 players to be on the roster. But what if all these 100 players decided they wouldn't be quarterback? What about, think about it. That team wouldn't get very far, would they? They wouldn't be very effective. They have all that gifting, all that talent, all those skills, but they can't do anything if they all try to be quarterback. True unity arises when each member is willing to play a very specific position that's been assigned to him. The most effective teams are those 
which each player knows his job. Right? All members working together. What if your offensive line, one man says, I'm not going to block. That's not a very important position. If all is hyped, quarterback goes back to pass, but he has no time because the men come through. You see, it takes the whole team working together, each with its assignment. Or take, for instance, a receiver is supposed to go long. He needs yardage to get first down. But he says, you know what? I'm just going to go up here like five yards and go over. He may catch the pass, but he may not get the first down. Again, teams that are effective work together. We have different gifts, different abilities. And yet, we work together. There, in the same way as a football team or any other kind of team, there's a unity in diversity of the members of the body of Christ. We're all members of one body, each of us unique. Each very unique. God created us the way we are to be a vital part of the body. We don't all have the same function, but each person here, each one of us, every one of us, is critical. Critical to Good News Bible Church fulfilling its purpose. We have unique personalities. We have different temperaments. We have different histories, different skills and abilities. But God has a purpose and plans for us. And Ephesians 2.10 says that well, we, are his, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us today. God made you. He created you. He gave you the unique temperament, personality, skills, gifting that you have, passion that you have. And He brought us together in one body to accomplish the goal of the church. So in other words, I said earlier, we're the same under the standard of the gospel. We're different also. Different, the different functions. Yet, it is a diversity working in unity, in harmony, that enables the body of Christ to do what He directs us to do and to be. For the third thing, after thinking rightly about ourselves, thinking rightly about our fellow believers, the third thing is thinking rightly about our gifts. Verse 6 through 8 reads, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who acts 
mercy, with cheerfulness. We all have gifts, at least one. No one's left out. God has gifted each of us with different gifts to be expressed through ministry to others according to the needs of the church. Today we're not going to go into all the, the various spiritual gifts because we'll eventually get back to 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about those gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is just to give you a picture again of this body working together. It says the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Let's stop. Think about that. God has placed every part, every one of us, God has placed us with our gifts in the body of Christ here at Good News. And in fact, it says God has placed the parts in the body, everyone, just as he wanted. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. It's through our diversity that we serve the Lord. Because God made our bodies, our physical bodies, so well, we often don't appreciate our health or how the body, physical body works until we get sick, until we break a bone, we're uniquely made by the Lord. We don't even consciously think about the fact we we get up and our hands do what we want them to do and our feet do what we want them to do. Our voice we speak. Then there's those things that are most critical that we don't even think about. Our heart beats. Right? We breathe minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, year by year. Because God gave us wonderful bodies. And all those parts work together. Surgeon Dr. Paul Brand, in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, tells of an amazing diversity and that interrelationship between the parts of the human body. Speaking of the body's cells, he writes, I am struck by their variety. Chemically, my cells and your cells are almost alike. In other words, the makeup is almost the same. But visually and functionally, they are as different as the animals in a zoo. So that's a good uh, example of, of the difference, right? If you think about a, a rhino, or an elephant, or a giraffe. It's right there. It's difference. Brand goes on and says, I never tire of viewing these varied specimens. Individually, they seem puny and odd designed. But I know that these invisible parts cooperate to lavish life upon me. Ah, the body of Christ. Just like our own bodies, is composed of individual, unlike cells, 
They're knit together to form one body. And the joy of the body increases as the individual cells realize that in our diversity that we shouldn't be isolated but working together. Well, first, we've seen that we're to worship God through a transformed lives. We worship in the way we live. Not what we do on Sunday morning. Worship is not a part of our life. It is our life. Secondly, we see that we're to live this transformed life in Christ Jesus, in community. We desperately need each other. We don't function well when someone is not doing his or her part. vision statement I mentioned earlier, we seek to be a diverse family of believers. And by diverse here, I mean socioeconomically, ethnically. We want to reach the community around us. Reconciled by God, impacting the lives of people in Logan Square and Humboldt Park and beyond through the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this accomplished is every person is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, impacting others with the gospel. Every person, secondly, connected to the body of Christ. Third, every person discipled. And fourth, every person with a mission mindset, on a mission for God. Our Western culture is so individualistic, isn't it? We're so independent, so independent. It's easy for us to have this Lone Ranger mentality as far as our faith goes. We think we can do it alone. But we can't. We're called to be a part of the body of Christ. God has called you to be a part of Good News Bible Church, using the gifts that he's given you. It's not just attending church on Sunday mornings, not just keeping the seats warm, so to speak, but being involved in the lives of people I've heard people who don't go to church say, well, I, I'm not a part of a church. I, I watch church on Sunday, Sunday morning, church, on TV. TV services are not church. I strongly believe that our passage today has made it so very, very, very clear that we need the church in our lives. When I say the church, I mean the body of Christ. We need each other. I was talking this morning with, with Pastor Chuck, and he had watched um, this movie, um, Prayer. Well, yeah, yes. Anyway, about prayer. And he was talking below about how Satan is always attacking. Sometimes we think it's our spouse. Sometimes we think it's our boss. Sometimes we just think things happen. You see, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. And the devil is a slanderer. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He wants to destroy. Too often we do not realize that Satan is working in our lives, in our marriage, in our families, in our workplace 
we need desperately to be looking to the Lord through prayer, through studying God's Word, but also through involvement in the family, the good news family, the, the body of Christ. I cannot renew my mind without the help of others in a way I should. Think about it. I cannot fully understand Scripture sometimes without the help of others who are studying it. I can't live the life of a disciple apart from the nurturing context of community. Believers who encourage me, who pray for me, who set an example for me. I think I shared with you guys before coming to Christ when I was 25 I went to Bible college and then I decided to go from Alabama to California to grad school and I got over there and everything fell apart I was supposed to have a room in the dorm and they overbooked the dorms I was supposed to be finished in one year they added a lot of classes and so I'd heard about Larry Crowd who started a counseling program at another seminary and so I called Brother Young, who had led me to Christ and discipled me, and I said, Brother Young, I want to go. I want to go. I want to come back home, and I want to go to Grace. Pastor Young said, Ralph, he said, he said that God's been leading you all along to go to Talbot, that that was a place for you. He said, don't let opposition cause you to move away from there. I didn't want to hear that from Brother Young. But see, he spoke the truth. I was facing, facing opposition and facing things that weren't good. I had nowhere to live. But Pastor Young was willing to give me some strong advice. I knew he loved me. After finishing up seminary, I came here came on full-time with Inner City Impact. I've been dating, who's now my wife, Chris. I've been dating her off and on for a while, and I was, like, non-committal. Pastor Young called me. I didn't want to hear what he had to say. He said, Ralph, either marry Chris or leave her alone. Leave her alone. Well, you can know that I pretty quickly got a ring. I got engaged and I got married. You see, we need people in our lives who love us, who know us, who know our weaknesses, who know our strengths, and who can come alongside us we need each other. If I had not had Brother Young in my life, I would not be married to that beautiful lady. Wouldn't have the joy of Zachary and Jared and all of their friends. You see, we need each other. Don't fool yourself. 
God has called you into the body of Christ here at Good News. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He's given you wisdom. You have a history that God wants to use in the body of Christ. But too often we listen to Satan and his lies. I can't discern my blind spots, but my family and my friends in the body of Christ can. Tonight in Mosaic, I want to encourage you to get involved. If you're not in a discipling relationship, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're not in ministry, I want you to get involved through Chase School or through Salem Mission Home or through Mom's Night Out, which will be coming up this year with the Mom's Group. Get involved in Awana. Get involved in children's ministries or get involved in aftershocks. You see, God has given you a gift. He wants you to use it. The Scripture is very clear that we're to use it in the body here. Again, think about the human body. The disadvantage of not having a foot, not having an eye or kidney. We can function. I still remember when I broke bone in my little finger crushed a few bones right here. Had to have a cast first from here down to here. And it got smaller and smaller. But, you know, even with a little small cast here, I couldn't function well. I couldn't type. I couldn't hold my cup of coffee. Really. I couldn't drive as safely. And you think, that's just a little finger. You don't need it. We need it. If you think you're a little finger and not needed, you're wrong. We need, we need a little finger. Let's pray and move toward communion. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you've called us into the body of Christ. We thank you, Father, that you want us to be involved. Oh, Father, remind us that we're important. Remind us, Father, that we are unique and special. We ask, God, that you would just drive home this fact. In Christ's name, amen. May you come forward and begin.